lesson this morning will be taken from Luke 22, verses 2 through 6, and verses 21 through 23. The subject is the mighty hand of God. Let's read these verses together. Luke chapter 22, verse 2. I've got my verses mixed up, I'm sure. And the chief priests and the scribes sought how they might kill him. For they feared the people. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot, being of the number of the twelve. And he went his way and communed with the chief priests and captains how he might betray him unto them. And they were glad and covenanted to give him mercy, or to give him money. And he promised and sought opportunity to betray him unto them in the absence of the multitude. That is, they wanted to hide what they were doing from the multitude, and that's always the way of false religion. And then having established the Lord's Supper, our Lord said in verses 21 through 23, But behold, the hand of him that betrayeth me is with me on the table. And truly the Son of Man goeth, as it was determined, but woe unto that man by whom he is betrayed. And they, that is his disciples, began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Now I first titled the lesson, The Work of Satan. A satanic work. And truly it is the work of Satan who entered into Judas Iscariot and caused him to betray the Son of Man. Satan, I I don't know the particulars of how he does it, but Satan, I can show it to you in the Scriptures, Satan works in men. He works in men in a similar way to how the Holy Ghost works. He works in men and men aren't even aware of it. He said, You hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sin, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit which now worketh in the children of disobedience. He works in them. How's he doing? I don't know. I don't know. I don't want to know. But it's not His work that I want to promote. I want to promote the work of God. And I want to look past the working of Satan in Him and show you the mighty hand of God. Turn with me to Acts chapter 4. I want to, we'll begin our lesson right here. This is an accurate account of the death of Christ tells us plainly how and why it took place. He tells us who was involved 
and how that involvement came to be. Acts chapter 4, verses 25 and 26. They quote, Peter and, and, and John quote Psalm chapter 2. Why did the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth stood up and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For of a truth against thy holy child Jesus, whom thou hast anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel, were all gathered together, all of them, for to do whatsoever thy hand and thy counsel determined before to be done. Be no doubt that those involved in the death of Christ his rejection, those false convictions. Those men were sons of their father the devil. How do I know that? Because that's what the Lord told them. They said, we be not born of fornication. We have one father, even God. He said, if God were your father, you'd love me. I proceeded forth and came from God. And then he tells them, you're of your father the devil, and the lust of your father you will do. And not only the death of Christ, but the whole of Antichrist religion, both then and now, is ascribed to Satan, who takes men captive at, their, at his will. And we're warned about it. We're warned when we go to somebody, and, and we know that they're... They run aground. They, they made shipwreck of the faith. And, and we're going to go to them and we're going to restore such a one. He said, be careful. Be careful. Satan's working in him. That, this is not him. You don't have to worry about his clever answers. you got to worry about who's working in him. Because he takes men captive at his will. He takes men captive at his will and convinces them to do his bidding by making them believe that they're serving God in whatever it is he has them to do. His work is described as a great falling away. The coming of Christ is not, he told those disciples way back then, it's not coming tomorrow or next week. He's not coming. There has to come a great falling away first. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. Falling from what? Falling from the Word of God. The gospel of Christ, the means of grace, are falling away. It is, 2 Thessalonians 2, 9, after the working of Satan with all power and signs and lying wonders, with all deceivableness of unrighteousness and them that perish. Let me read you just a few chapters here and there in the Bible. I want you to see that this, this is not something I'm trying to pull out one verse over here in the New Testament. This, this, this runs all the way through the Bible. In 1 Chronicles chapter 21, verse 1, it says, And Satan stood up against Israel and provoked David to number Israel. You remember how much trouble he got in for doing that. Why did he do it? 
Satan provoked David to do it. And then in Job chapter 1, verse 6, there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord, and Satan came also with them. He came with them. David prays in Psalm 109 concerning his enemies and the enemies of God, and no doubt speaking the very words of Christ. They rewarded me evil for good and hatred for my love. Set them a wicked man over them and let Satan stand at his right hand. Zechariah was moved by the Holy Ghost to write, He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to resist him. And what was he then to resist? The bringing in of him whose name is the branch, the promised Messiah. In Matthew 16, our Lord began in detail to show his disciples how he must go to Jerusalem, how he had to suffer things at the hands of the priesthood and the Pharisees and scribes and the elders, and then be killed. And then be raised again on the third day. And Peter, uh, Peter took him and he, he called him aside. Master, come here a minute. And he called him aside. And he began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto you. That's why he came into the world. Peter said, No, no, you can't do this. You can't do this. Now watch this. But he turned... He looked Peter right in the face and he said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Satan. Where does Satan work? Well, he was working in an apostle that day. He was working with the high priest back, back there in Zechariah. He was working with Job. There's not a more righteous man in all the earth than Job, but there Satan comes with him. Satan comes with him. Where does he work? He works everywhere. The whole work of Antichrist religion is the working of Satan, no matter how sincere the man is that's doing the work. Can you picture Eve trying to convince Adam that it was okay to eat the fruit? That wasn't Eve, that's Satan working in Eve. Your enemies, he said, shall be they of your own household. Satan's work is subtle, and he works where it does the most damage. Satan never rests. He knows his time is short, and he works in the hearts of perishing sinners, causing them to resist the Holy Ghost. You do always, Stephen said, resist the Holy Ghost, just like your fathers did. Paul writes that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. Why not? Why not? There looks to me like they're pretty plainly stated. Why won't they receive? Because it appears foolishness unto them. Listen to this. 
they were selling their houses and lands and everything and just, just putting it in a big kitty and whoever needed, that way they could all have things come. Nobody, nobody did without. And Ananias and Sapphira promised uh, within themselves, is this how much we're going to give? And they set it aside, but they didn't give it. When time came, they held it back. And here's what the apostle said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost? Would a man lie to the Holy Ghost? He will if Satan works in him. Paul said God anointed him to minister and be a witness of all that was revealed to him and to open men's eyes and turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God. In 2 Corinthians 2, Paul speaks of misunderstandings and things that cause uh, divisions among the brethren, saying, lest Satan, lest Satan get an advantage on us, for we're not ignorant of his devices. Where does he work? He works in churches. He works in believers. He works in apostles. He works in preachers. He works anywhere he wants to. And anywhere that the Lord will allow him. Peter said, no. The Lord said, you're going to forsake me this day. Oh, no, not me. Now, they might. Peter, Peter said, John might. These might, but not me. Oh, yeah. Fact is, you're going to deny me three times. Three times. Hmm. Huh? Oh, my. Why did he say that? Why, did, why would Peter tell the Lord that he wasn't going to do that? Because he couldn't see ahead. That's why. He couldn't see Satan about to sift him as wheat. That, that didn't come into the equation. That wasn't part of the equation. You know, we, we say things in this life, I'm going to do this, and then something, boom, something happens and we can't do it. Why couldn't we do it? Because we couldn't see that thing. That's why. Oh... All through the scriptures we're told about the working of Satan and it's always Antichrist. He's a powerful enemy. He's one to be feared and avoided. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to see the hand of God. Everybody that day was doing what they wanted to do and Satan was doing what he wanted to do. Huh? Did God just... Let him do it because he couldn't resist him. No, he used him to do it. There's no excuse for sin. Sin lies at the door, our door. It's our sin. The soul that sinneth shall surely die. There's no getting away with sin. Sin has to be accounted for. But God overrules sinful men and even Satan himself to accomplish his redemptive will. And that's what was going on at this table. That's what was going on. The mighty hand of God was overruling all. All of it. 
He did and continues to do what his hand and his counsel determined before to be done. In Romans 9, the Holy Ghost tells us that he endures with much long-suffering the vessels of wrath. Now, he's not long-suffering to them, but he's long-suffering to us, enduring those vessels. Why would God endure such things? Don't you sometimes wonder when you see things, hear things, things happen right here, don't you sometimes wonder why, why would God allow that to happen? I can't see what he sees. (laughs) I can't see what he sees. But I do know this. He endures them for our sake and to accomplish his will. He endures them that we might have a government put in place to constrain men from being as evil as they could be. Don't have any misgivings about it. Those those are evil men. Those are fallen men in government. You'd have to be blind not to see that. They're, they're, They're not upright. These are evil men. But they're accomplishing a good service. There is no power but of God. That's what he tells us over there. The powers that be are of God. He endures them to provide us with jobs and food and things that we need in our earthly sojourn, just like Abraham. He endures them and uses them to assist him in his work of redemption, just as he did on this day. And Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, was taken and by wicked hands crucified and slain. He endures them that their sins might pile up around them like hot coals on their head. Every man involved in the death of Christ was used of God to manifest His purpose of grace and accomplish the redemption of chosen sinners. Every one of them. They had no interest in it themselves. They they had no understanding of it. None of those things. Everybody that was involved in it down here was ignorant. But God overruled all the ignorance and they did exactly what God determined before to be done. The Feast of Unleavened Bread drew nigh, which is called the Passover. And here's the connection. And the chief priests and scribes sought how they might kill him. Passover drew nigh, that is, in its fulfillment, in its accomplishment, in its true manifestation. Then entered Satan into Judas, surnamed Iscariot. They would all do what they believed to be right. They would all, they all thought they was, uh, that what they're doing would be prosperous. They all, they were all doing what they reasoned best that should be done. And all their secret meetings and communion decisions and all their, uh, Dangling of the money before Judas seemed perfectly logical to them. Yet they did what God determined before to be done. There is in this an overriding providence, though they had no 
awareness of it, yet God used them as instruments to do His will. And He does the same thing today. Peter put it this way, Him being delivered by the determinate counsel and foreknowledge of God, you have taken and with wicked hands have crucified and slain. Oh, how sweet the thought. How comforting it is to see God's hand of providence. To see Him overriding all things to bring to pass what could never be apart from His intervention. There was no other way or means to accomplish our redemption and God overruled and used the most wicked men and angels and the most wicked deeds to bring it to pass. And as our Lord institutes the ordinance of remembrance and He says, but, but, He passes it out and then He said, but, the hand that betrayeth me seated at the table. He's right here. He's with me on the table. He's with me. One of the chosen twelve. One who obtained a part of this ministry. One who preached in His name and did many wonderful things in His name. He's with me. One receiving the respect and honor of His people. Eating and drinking the body and blood of Christ. And what a warning this is to us. Truly, He said, the Son of Man goeth as it was determined. But woe unto that man by whom he's betrayed. And they began to inquire among themselves which of them it was that should do this thing. Matthew's account says, And they were exceeding sorrowful and began to say unto him, Lord, is it I? Is it I? Judas' apostasy stands out as a glaring example of the fact that men and women who appear to have a good profession of faith sometimes prove themselves in the end to be reprobates of God. Huh? Oh, I don't need to search my heart. Really? Maybe you'll read this account again. Judas is carried followed our Lord through the full course of His ministry. And like the others, He forsook all to follow Christ. The Lord Himself chose Him and made Him an apostle, and there was no outward evidence that He was not a true apostle. Yet in the end, He betrayed the Son of God. What are you saying, preacher? I'm saying, what would we do if God left us to ourselves? Huh? we'd do exactly what Satan influenced us to do. That's what we do. And we'd be absolutely convinced that we were doing this thing as a service to God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then let me close with a warning. He says, beware of covetousness. In John 12, Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, took a full box of spikenard and anointed the feet of Christ, a whole pound of this precious ointment. 
And when she did, Judas said, Why was not this ointment sold for 300 pence and given to the poor? Now watch this. John 12, verse 6. This he said. This, this is why Judas said what he said. Not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. That was money in his pocket. But he couldn't tell him that. He said this because he was a thief and had the bag and bore what was put therein. That's why he did it. When did he become a thief? Oh, he was always a thief. Same as we are. And while we might not steal that, we'll rob God of his glory. Out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murderers, adulteries, fornications, thefts. All of these things ought to shut us up to Christ alone and know that He alone can keep us from falling. When our Lord prayed for His people, He began with the twelve, put into His care, and then He said to His Father, Those that Thou gavest Me I have kept, and none of them is lost but the son of perdition. Why Him? that the Scriptures might be fulfilled. Uh, God help us as we sojourn here on this earth to look alone to our God and Savior and His Spirit which works with us. If not by the grace of God, every one of us would be Judas. Every one of us. Every one of us. And I know we read it in the paper, we hear it on the news, I see it all the time, and you say, oh, how horrible, and you just shock. <laughs> I'll tell you what you'll say after a while, there go I, but by the grace of God. That's me. That's me. There's nothing we won't do. But here's my hope. The mighty hand of God. That's it. That's it. it had nothing to do with you. It had to do with him. <laughs>